1: Welcome to the New Growth Podcast with Nikki Walton. Join her as she explores divine love as a key to spiritual growth, empowered service, and inner and outer success. If you'd like to support Nikki's podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Nikki. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of New Growth. I am your host, Nikki Walton, and today I'm excited to launch a new series wherein I selfishly get to talk to the teachers, the gurus that I have thankfully stumbled upon during this journey that I've been on for the last, I don't know, 20 years, it seems, um... With me today, virtually, I have John Stevenson. And before I tell you more about him and how I came across his beautiful teachings, I want to give you a backstory um, because I found him by way of another teacher named Joel Goldsmith. Now, I was probably four years deep into my constant reading and constant meditating. It was 2016 when I found Joel's books. The first one I found was the art of spiritual healing. And then I read everything else and I listened to everything that he had um, that's been posted to YouTube, all of the talks, thousands of hours of talks, any um, pamphlets I could find online in PDF form, I consumed it all and I could feel the truth. I could feel the truth in everything, even though there were times where I thought There's no way I can put this to practice because a lot of what he's saying in the infinite way is to relax into presence and to let that presence become the fulfillment of whatever it is that you're supposed to do or who you're supposed to be in this life. That the truth, your true purpose is living out from being this love, this divine presence. And although it felt true, I was still kind of going back and forth to other teachings um, that were more egoic, where I felt like I could have some control, some, some will over the direction that I wanted my life to go into. But I kept having this very strong pull into practicing. And then as life would have it, um, things got tough around me. And when that happens, you cling to the practice that works. And I clung to presence. And I was clinging to presence for, I don't know, maybe six months Um, doing only infinite way work very strictly. And everything began to change. Everything began to open up. And the fullness that I began experiencing, the word fullness started coming up in me when I would sit in presence. And in the beginning when I would sit, I very much felt like it was Nikki aware of a presence. So there was duality there, Nikki aware of a click an inner click of this love. And then as during that period where I was clinging to this presence, trying to hold it and stay aware of it, it dawned that only the presence is, and that it's almost as if it's aware of itself. So the love, it's not that Nikki was aware of love, but that love was announcing itself where Nikki seemed to be, where Nikki appeared to be. And that word fullness kept coming up. So it wasn't just that that presence or that love was in my body. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. And I started Googling fullness and Joel Goldsmith just to see if he had ever talked about it being so full, like so overwhelmingly beautiful. And a name came up john stevenson in a title of a book called fullness of joy and i thought this is serendipitous so i clicked through and i ordered um, a copy from amazon and i also got the digital download of course because i am all about instant gratification and i immediately began reading um, before the actual um, paperback came and i fell in love i highlighted everything um loved the paperback when I got it, bunny marked, bunny eared everything, and bought a second copy. And now both of those copies are actually gone, John. I've given them away as gifts. The second one I Uh gave away to um, Rhonda Ross. I just had her on. She's um, Diana Ross's daughter. And I have a very limited amount of books I brought with me down here to Florida. Very Uh small collection. And your book, of course, was in that collection. And I gave it away. Of all the books that I had, I'm like, this is the one that really brings the teaching at least the practice that was most effective for me um you shared it so eloquently and you really brought I think Joel's teachings like to fruition like you you added to it in a necessary way Uh, you made it even more clear so with that I want to welcome you to new growth thank you so much for joining I appreciate it deeply
2: Oh, thank you, Nikki. It's such a pleasure to join you and and uh, that wonderful introduction. <laughs> um, yeah, so it is. Um, what I learned from Joel is that the the spiritual way of life is very practical. It does meet your human needs as well as give you that kind of basis of foundation in oneness and love, so that um, you feel fulfilled within yourself
1: yes exactly and tell me you actually have met Joel you grew up with his teachings I'd love to hear what that was like Um, actually being raised in this understanding
2: well I met him when I was a teenager my mom began studying him and um, so I'd gone to a few of his lectures when I was still in high school and when I graduated from high school, I came to Hawaii a uh, number of reasons. But Joel was uh, kind of at the top of the list. I mean, mm-hmm. it was surfing, maybe number one, and Joel number <laughs> two. <laughs> but he was still living here. And it, it allowed me to go and have a lot of private uh, or, or sessions with small groups, and uh and listened to him really at the end of his um ministry he mm. he was because this was in 1963 and 64 and he passed away in 1964 mm. so at the end of his ministry he was really teaching uh mysticism mm. and and The mystical way of life is the realization that everything is one that everything the substance of everything is spirit and when you realize then that what you do within yourself and how you perceive others is it is in this context of oneness it changes your perception changes Mm -hmm. how you look at others and how you look at yourself because you realize oh there's just one so then when people are acting out negativity, you, you start having to then realize, well, well, where is this coming from? And how do I put this in context to myself so that I can maintain harmony within myself? Mm.
1: So tell me when you say everything is one, I have an idea of what it is for me here. How does that manifest for you where you are?
2: Well, It it was kind of the opening of my consciousness that the I that I am is universal being, Mm -hmm. that it is not a personalized um, construct of mind and body, but it is actually a spiritual identity. And so it changed my perspective on looking at this world. And then it also, it drew, drew me not only into more of the mysticism of Joel, but it drew me into areas like quantum mechanics or yes. uh, these people, like I just watched this wonderful film on David Bone the other day. And his his whole idea was this oneness, that there's an underlying oneness of all life mm. and that the constructs from the quantum to the classical, they've always been trying to marry them and they couldn't without acknowledging that there is one basic substance of all life and it's not a bunch of bits and pieces put together but it (laughs) is a whole right and and so that's kind of the um what i i started seeing is that okay whenever there were problems and challenges rather than focusing on the the particle on the problem mm-hmm. if i if i started widening my context so that oh i start taking in everything pretty soon i go back to this idea of oneness well if I'm aware of my spiritual identity, then I can become aware of the substance of, of all that I'm coming in contact with, whether it's people or environments or societies, doesn't matter. It's all It all exists in this uh, realm of oneness.
1: Yes, yes. So this substance, this essence, how... Do you experience it when I hear that I think of Joel's teachings I think of the experience that I have here for me it is like a listening ear so um, during the day now it's pretty it's automatic it's not really something that I have to do consciously it's just always happening where it's almost like I'm listening for a feeling or a vibration that is very natural to me that is always there when I turn to it and I call it love, but obviously it doesn't have a name but for me that's how it is it's like I turn within and Thoughts slow down and love is there. And I when I open my human eyes, although I see the world, I'm feeling love. So I'm seeing forms and objects from love, from that feeling. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. That's, oh, absolutely. That's just a that's a wonderful description of it because it is the feeling is of of complete calm, complete stillness and silence that that's where you experience oneness. When your mind is really engaged in the outer, that is the conceptual. And you're always naming and labeling. You've been taught, we've been conditioned to see things as good and evil. But when you go into that stillness there, you you no longer are judging the world by the its appearances, but you start experiencing the love, which is what—that's what it is. I've always thought that that spirit there's an is an energy. There's an activity in spirit. It's also it's the substance, but it, there's an energy, and that energy of spirit is love. Yeah, it's 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 what makes everything work. Without love, nothing would work.
1: Exactly. No, I, that's beautiful. And that's been the experience here. And it's always nice to hear like, that you're not crazy that other people are having this too, which is why I too, in the mysticism, in that line, I went back and started studying um, like the teachers from the Christian tradition from like the 1600s, like Brother Lawrence or um, St. Uh, Teresa, uh, you know, and to see the way they described this, the I am or consciousness or love, to hear the way they described it. It was very reaffirming, like reassuring.
2: Yeah, no, I think, the, I mean, St. Teresa, I did some research on her for another book I did. And I what I loved was... What book was, was that? Her, the Atua Man, my, my novel. I have to finish
1: it. that one. I started that it, but I haven't finished.
2: <laughs> well, St. Teresa kept describing ecstasy. Yeah, she was in ecstasy when she was in this consciousness of of the spirit, and her ecstasy became so great that she levitated. That's you know that's why you know so many people are. I mean, she's kind of an icon because there are those that say, "Oh yes, if you really get into this, you can transcend the material and and totally be out of the material limitations." And that was her experience, but. It so frightened the church that they put her in a convent. Of <laughs> course,
1: <laughs> of course, of course. I was um, lucky enough this at the top of this year, like before a lockdown happened. My sister and I we went to her church and we got to see the home that she was born in and everything. It was beautiful. Oh wow. Yeah, no, and spontaneous. It's, it's um, a- I don't know if it's a, no, it's in Spain. I don't know if it's a villa or a okay. villa, but um, my uh-huh. sister likes to book very like touristy type things. So she had told me that we were going to take a tour outside of Madrid, and I'm like, whatever. So I dragged myself on the bus at like five a.m. and they're speaking in Spanish about like the different stops on the trip, and I heard Saint Teresa. I'm like. What? What's happening? And Uh she didn't know who she was. And so the whole trip, it was like an hour and a half outside of Madrid. I was reading, um, what's the book? It's the one where it's like Castle, Interior Castle. Is that her book? The Interior Castle?
0: I think that's Uh, the one.
1: I I think that's it. I was reading that all the way and the arrived great. And then I got lost in the city because I was trying to buy a rosary. It's a long story, but it was a powerful trip. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm happy that I went. (laughs) I actually want to read a quote from um, one of your books, which is in alignment with what we're speaking about now. This is from Fullness of Joy. The spiritual world in all its fullness exists right here, right now. To be in that world, which is a state of bliss, is to be free from limitations of material cause and effect. Even though that kingdom is not of this world, you can be in the world, but not of it. You can be in the world, yet also be in my kingdom. It's all a matter of perspective. And I think I want to know from you, from that quote, what it's like being in this world, but not of it. How you are able to keep one foot, if not both feet, in the kingdom. How you remember.
2: Well. The, I mean, the practice of meditation. What it does is that it it's kind of like um, if you're an athlete. The more you, uh, practice. Uh, experiencing that stillness, that presence within, which is that the love and the bliss, the more it becomes part of your nature so that it's it's almost like muscle memory. You go through your life and, and you said it in the beginning of our conversation, you don't, you're carrying this with you. You've done enough meditation and tuning into that so that it's so much a part of you that you can never get away from it, no matter what the world picture is. So being in the world is that we still participate in the world we have human form we're going through all the the appearances of life and and we have to deal with all the the stuff that's going on in the world with the the pandemics and the politics and the 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 racial things everything that's happening we're not ignorant of that but we look at it from the standpoint of love of oneness oh i i I can understand that even if it's the nastiest, most mean person, oh, they're not coming from where I would like them to come from, but I'm not going to condemn them because they're ignorant. I'm going to try and recognize that that same spirit of god that i know within me that is the spirit of love is within all within all those people whether they are expressing it or not Mm. therefore i don't react so much so i think the secret of being in the world is not reacting it's i mean i'm not i'm not really that much of a guru in the sense that my buttons do get pushed but when (laughs) they do um i can i can i'm aware of it so that I can start saying wait a minute where are you going do you want to go down that road do you want to be angry do you want to get all upset mm. or do you want to take a moment and stop and and put this in a bigger perspective and you know and put it in a spiritual perspective and as you practice being in the world and as you practice and really that's non-judgment that's what jesus said you know mm. judge not uh, and forgiveness. So you forgive that judgment. And Jesus said, would Paul or Peter ask Jesus how often do you forgive? Seventy times seven, which is kind of a code for like forever, as long as it takes. Right. So, um, so that's kind of the the activity of being in the world and not of it is non judgment, forgiveness, and recognizing and and trying to maintain this center, not getting off. knocked off your spiritual center emotionally or physically or by what's going on in the world.
1: Exactly. So if somebody listening at home sees a new scary COVID headline tomorrow, um, what would be your instructions for them to not react to that, especially if that's one of their triggers?
2: Well, if they're really fearful of disease, and then so they they have to mentally reverse that which is causing the fear. Where is the power in disease? Oh, it's a virus. Well, what is this little virus? Is this virus harmful? Well. It appears to be in some people and in other people, they seem to get this virus and, and, and go through it. OK, so if you start taking the power out of the virus, realizing that everything that's made is spiritual. I mean, there isn't anything that that exists that exists outside of this grand creation. What makes it good or evil is our own judgments and our own reactions to it. So if we start withdrawing power, even from this virus that seems to be such a powerful instrument right now in the world and can say, OK, I'm not denying that it, people are going to get affected by it. But the more I can see it as um, a product of this world, that the, when the presence of the divine is experienced, that is omnipresent. I mean omnipotent. That is all-powerful. It's also omnipresent, but it's Mm all-powerful. And in this whole message that we practice, there's a healing component to it. But the healing component says that your or my conscious realization of the presence of God or the presence of the divine or the presence of the infinite is a law of harmony, that there is no... Disharmony. There is no disease. There is no. Um, there is no conflict in this divine presence. So, if we enter this divine presence, we're removing ourselves from conflict, from disease, from from all of the negativity. And what that does to us is that it takes away the fear and it takes away the attachment. Mm. We're not attached to that through fear or whatever, uh, uh, mostly fear. Uh, And being not attached, then we can gain this perspective where we can allow ourselves to go completely into this divine spirit and experience that love that presence. And in that love and that presence, you, there's a freedom. So if someone does that to themselves, for themselves, when they read a headline, then they're nullifying for the, in their own mind the power of this virus. Mm. Now, does that do it for their neighbor who's suffering? Only if that neighbor joins in and, and 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 comes along and says, okay, we can take away the power of all material effect if individually we all start going in and bringing into our experience this activity of love rather than going through the world fearful and defensive and, and uh, ready to fight.
1: Exactly, exactly. So when you say... I want to know if fear can be there while you're also aware of this loving presence. Can they happen at the same time? Because at times for me, like you said, a button will be pressed. Something will come up. I feel that gut reaction of fear. And that's almost for me now a trigger to reach for presence, to feel for presence, to be aware that presence already is. So then it feels like there's fear or anger or whatever it is and presence. Is that accurate or am I just missing something?
2: I think think when one becomes dominant, the other leaves. Okay. There might be a point when when they both seem to be existent. But I think the more that you go into love, there is no fear.
1: You're right. I can see that too. And it takes for me, depending on the thing that triggered it, it could be just moments where it seems like both is there, but then the love wins out and then mine comes back. And it's like, but wait, we were worried about this or we were angry about this. And then that comes back. And then I choose to love, like you said, 70 times seven or whatever, like from the Bible, that's how it is here over and over and over. And I think there was a quote that Joel shared once where he said that this presence is like a feeling of continual forgiveness, you know, of yourself and others or of yourself for thinking that these things, these appearances are real.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, uh, we do live in a state of forgiveness, forgiving ourselves and forgiving those that seem to be acting out because the whole kind of con- construct and in, in the, in the Eastern world, the, they called this whole, this world, all Maya illusion. Yes. Even the quantum physicists are calling, are basically they're saying that the physical existence that we see say is real is not because right. there's more, space between the molecules and there is solid but we start we mentally fill in all the blanks and make a a solid world out of something that is really very ethereal so as we start not naming and labeling and not judging not reacting to the constructs of this world then we start seeing this world have less influence it becomes more ethereal it it doesn't have this solid weight of like this is it and this is what's going to happen um, it can all be changed right and that, that was the that was the battle between the classical physicist and the quantum mechanics that says well, if you light up a, a flame under a rocket it's going to go up in the air and it says yes that that happens on that level, but there's another level too that that you don't know about, that could change the whole dynamics of material cause and effect. And that really becomes the basis of spiritual healing is that the dynamics of material cause and effect have been altered by this other uh, realm, this other um, level of existence that that an individual taps into. And when they tap into it, they bring that level of existence, that spiritual level into reality, into manifestation.
1: That's beautiful, and I remember the first time I truly understood that was in an email from you. Um, when I sent you an email, maybe a couple of months after finding your book, this would have been in 2018. Worried about something, and your email response was so short and so powerful that I actually I have it saved in my screenshots here. I'm going to read it to you guys. And I actually send it to everyone that I work with for my coaching. Um, any family members that are going through stuff that I can tell they're open to this. Um, There's actually two emails that I saved from you. And they're at the top of my like important list of uh, screenshots. Here's the first. It says... Yes, Nikki, the appearances don't matter. They are the temptations to give power to something outside of the one presence. I can't tell you how many times I've reread that sentence or read it to someone on the phone that was struggling with something. You go on and you say, but you have to be completely detached from the appearance to know it is ineffectual. So the acknowledgement of the presence always goes hand in hand with the withdrawing power from the realm of effect. When you experience the peace that the presence brings, you are in a state of oneness and no outside power can affect that. But if you believe an appearance has power and you carry that belief into meditation, you may experience a peace without affecting the appearance. To the degree that you can nullify the belief about an appearance before you meditate, you will deepen your awareness of the presence. And for me, that blossomed into even the idea of Nikki sitting down to meditate is an appearance that this presence, this love is already there. And so I'm, I remember sitting down one day to try to meditate and try to let go of the appearance. And I'm like, even Nikki is an appearance. You know, this love stands. The love is always here, always already here. And it looks like there's a Nikki turning to it and you're, it just, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that email.
2: you're You're welcome. I'm so happy that you caught it. That's, that's wonderful
1: yeah truly beautiful and appreciated and i've passed it along to so many people that i'm sure appreciate it and some of them will be listening to this and sorry if somebody emails you (laughs) emailed you too (laughs) (laughs) i apologize in advance
2: (laughs) well that's all right no we're, we're here to to basically in our way um live in this consciousness so that this uh, of love and of peace so that it prevails. And you know, there are people all over the world doing Mm -hmm. this. I mean, it's everywhere. Um, yeah, I, I, because the infinite way or Goldsmith's writing has no organization Mm -hmm. and it's not a church or anything like that. It's nobody really knows how many or who are practicing this but from indications of like you said you go onto the youtube and and listen to, to goldsmith tapes from around the world people are doing this all over in asia africa europe here south america it's really universal australia i mean e- everywhere
1: and a lot of these big teachers that are out now that are popular some of your favorite teachers y'all they have cited Joel as being very instrumental in their journey into their understanding of what reality is and what it isn't. And those teachers, at least the ones that have gone public are Eckhart Tolle and Michael Beckwith and Ayanla and Wayne Dyer said he wrote his books with a picture of Joel looking at him. (laughs) So, you know, a lot of the teachings that we have today came from Joel, you know, through other people.
2: At, that's so true. They, you know, it, it, Joel kind of broke the the mold. Mm. You know, the people that are interested in the history of Joel, we have a video biography of Joel. Mm. Uh, it, yeah, it can be ordered. Uh, it's either streaming or I can send a DVD. It can be ordered through Aloha Mystics or, you know, just Google Joel Goldsmith documentary and there's a preview of it on our YouTube page. And um, but that's um, for people that want to know the background where a lot of these teachers, uh, where Joel came from, it it's, gives context so that when you study his books or you listen to his recordings, it gives you an idea of, um, of how the spirit works because it's not like special people. It's it just anybody that catches this vision and, all, and, and is humble enough to say, hey, wow, this is great. That then it will take them on a fabulous journey
1: exactly yes 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 and it cushions you along that journey too which i found personally and thankfully (laughs) you know as you're going from one reality to the next it cushions you along the way
2: yes yeah no it's not a it's it's radical in one sense from the materialist point of view it's like oh this can't exist but yet when you get into it it's not going to rip everything away until you're Mm -hmm. ready to make that big transition I mean Mm -hmm. there have been people that have their lives have been turned upside down because they've gotten into this Mm -hmm. but if you're really sincere and you're ready for this it's not going to it's not going to turn you, it's not going to be so traumatic that you're going to say, why did I ever pick up that book? Exactly,
1: you know? <laughs> exactly. Now it's beautiful. Um, I also saw like in the last, maybe in the last month or two, I started really reading the Upanishads heavily. And I can see where Joel, I know Joel had mentioned like the Vedas and um, he talked about some of the teachers that influenced him long before. And I think he was even aware of like Nisargadatta Maharaj. So to read like you said, Maya, to know that if it didn't exist in the beginning and it's not going to exist in the end, that it also doesn't exist in the middle. To see that written, you know, from all of these centuries ago and then to read Joel's words, it's comforting to know that because as I became aware of that fullness that stands apart from the body, from the world, um, And started viewing the world from that this presence is the reality and the world is an appearance on it to see others try to express that through words is very comforting
2: yeah yeah no i think when you are on this kind of mystical path it does draw you into looking at all the other ways people have expressed this from the quantum physicists to the the you know the eastern traditions Mm -hmm. i think that Joel had said that Shankara, the Vedas yes. of India, Shankara was basically, he, his infinite way is, is a modern day a, a presentation of what Shankara was
1: Absolutely. Doing. I was reading Shankara this morning. That is amazing and true. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely true. And, and
2: that's, you know and, and and Deepak Chopra that's what he's basically that's his whole thing was it's very sympathetic with yes. with what Joel's te- teaching is because it recognizes that there is this underlying oneness that unites all all life
1: yes You know, um, they always tell you like the teacher doesn't appear until you're ready. And I had read, you said Deepak's name earlier. I had read one of his books, I don't know, in 2013. And it was a great book. And I hadn't opened it again until recently in the Kindle. And you know, on your Kindle app, if you guys have one, it'll say, do you want to start on the page you left off on? And it was a page Uh I left off on in like 2013, 2014. So I'm like, sure, let's see. Uh And that page that I left off on was about... The Yoga of which he said is the only book, this is Deepak, the only book he keeps on his nightstand, at least when he wrote that book, is The Yoga of And it's powerful. And I was actually presently reading it. I had only found it like maybe May of this year. And I've posted it like on Instagram a million times because it feels like a culmination of everything that I've experienced, everything I've read. And it's so pure and so clean. And it's exactly in alignment with your teachings, with Joel's teachings. And to see Deepak confirm that too, like this is the only book he said, whenever I get caught up and I think this world is real, I just open up that book and read a couple of passages. And you only need to read a little bit, even of your book. You know, like when I go back into it, I just need like a paragraph and it just... Presence is there and I'm able to live out from that for the rest of the day.
2: Right. Well, because this is really a way of life and, and all the books and all the lectures, all that are just to basically stimulate you or to help you when you're having a problem and can't see something exactly. or to stimulate you so that your own inner expression of this um, one presence can, can flow because it's going to flow individually through everybody. Yeah. It's not all the the same. I mean, it's that's you see that in nature. There isn't, you know, any two snowflakes alike. You know, mm-hmm. so the, this whole world is, but yet they're all one. It's all the same substance.
1: Right, right. So this is for me and. I'll say that in the beginning, it felt very effective and powerful to go through the day looking at objects and saying, oh, that's just a form of love. That's a form of God. That's a form of love. But it still felt very cerebral and it didn't feel completely true. And so when I made that transition just before reading your book, and then it really started to lock in after reading your book and after messaging you and talking with you, um, it became not so much a cerebral like that's love and that object is love and that's a form of love too, only love is here, so that tree can't be here. (laughs) Even though it seems to be, only love is here. And that's how I deal with um, scary headlines or any situations that come up throughout the day. I remind myself first, I feel that presence and I know only God is here. And if God is here, God is there, wherever that problem seems to be, which means the problem isn't there. And then it'll seem like Nikki has to do stuff sometimes, you know, to resolve things. Other times things get resolved on their own, but it seemed to be a shift from me reminding myself that that's a form of God to only God is here. And that form isn't, (laughs) that form isn't there.
2: Right. Well, that's that's taking it deeper into the oneness because what what really creates the form is is our concept of it, what we've been conditioned to, to see. And um, so when you start, you you start seeing that invisible behind the form um, rather than basically, I mean, there's a very fine line between pantheism and, and mystical oneness. Yes. Yes. God is in everything. But no, there isn't a piece of God in a tree or there isn't a piece of God in a rock. The rock and God are inseparable. The right. person and God is inseparable. So it's kind of a little, it's a different, uh, it, um, it, it, it's more inclusive in a way. It, yeah. And it brings it all back to, it's, it's the specific uh, and the universal at the same time.
1: I love that. And, and that's different. necessary.
2: Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you know, the, we don't lose our identity because we um, live out from oneness. Right. Even though we're all one, we all still have our talents, our loves. We each—I mean, everybody likes different kinds of food or different things—and so we all get to express that. That there's not a a uh, any kind of a sense that we oh we all have to be the same. Mm-hmm. That would be horrible. It's it's just this this celebration of our differences in the, in the oneness that yes, we can, what a boring world it would be if everybody was the same. <laughs> it was the
1: same, right. And wanted all the same things, uh, which yeah. also that. So tell me about desires and wants, um, where they come from and how we deal with them using infinite way teachings.
2: Well, Joel said that there's really only one legitimate desire, and that is to know the truth. Mm -hmm. But now that is like such a big, broad statement because what is the truth and what is it to know? And um, uh, I think we all come into this world with talents and, and things that we want to express, whether we're mathematical whizzes or business people or artists or performers or whatever it is. And that um, desire to express those talents is really a spiritual um, impulse. Because if you take it out of the personal, one of the big secrets is do you personalize everything or do you realize that this is an activity of God that's flowing through me and I'm just grateful that I can be the instrument and, and let this out. I like when you start to when you start to personalize it, then you're starting to cut everything off and say, oh, this is me and mine. I mean, it's the it's the there's so many kind of paradoxes like Mm. in spiritual teachings and mysticism. There's only one I or ego, but that same I that's spiritual, if it's highly personalized, can become a a complete narcissist and and buffoon. So the it's not that the ego is bad it's that when the ego is limited by personal concepts then it becomes a part of this judgmental world it's either a good ego or a bad ego and really that's what we are all constantly trying to see through and eliminate through our study and our practice so the desire desire When desire is to fulfill that personal sense of I, then it can become destructive because it can be like, oh, you're in my way. I'm going to push you out. I need to do this. And so, you get walked over or you walk over people and, and spiritually that's completely the antithesis of Mm -hmm. the desire that is expressing itself as whatever your talent, what your love, all of this that comes through you, then that's, that is an act of God. That's an act of spirit. Uh, And everybody has talents to use.
1: Yes. So if it is, Let's say it's a right desire or what you feel in your heart is a right desire. How do you let it in? Because I know Joel says it comes from within. You open up a way out. Um, what does that look like for you there?
2: Well, being a, you know an artist and creative person, it's, it's always, okay, I have an idea. How do I express it? Uh, whether it's a story, or book, or whether it's a painting or a ceramic piece. Uh, and then I just kind of let, whole thing unfold i do the work i mean like like an artist you have to have your craft you have to know how to do what uh, what it is so that you can express what you want to express and you go through those steps and then as it starts to unfold you realize oh this is something's taking over this i'm not really doing this now i'm not uh my ego isn't in here and you start losing the um fear of is this going to be successful or not mm-hmm. and you and you kind of have a detachment okay I'm just I, I really feel I need to express this so I'm going to express it and let it out and see if it finds a home somewhere or see right. if it defines it
1: so not worried about the outcome you're just in that and moment so then you're, and you're not Yeah.
2: there's no outcome basically then it's the joy of expressing something yes and the end product of that is out in the world and people pick it up or they don't pick it up, but that's not your concern. I mean, you're concerned about it in a way, but I mean, that's not your, your, your total focus. It's on expressing something.
1: When you're in that flow, when you're creating art like that, are you consciously aware of that presence in those moments? I know when I'm writing, those are times where it feels like there's just writing and there's not the practice of turning to or feeling or being aware of the presence as consciously as I am when I'm doing like mindless things like you know washing dishes or walking around the house it's easy to tap into presence but it seems as if it's almost i don't want to say eclipsed but it the writing is in the, very much in the foreground for me when that's when i'm doing that
2: well, I think there's two aspects to it. There's what you what, You have an idea of what you want to say and how you're saying it. So you're putting it out there. But then in the writing, I'll find, yeah, I've got an outline. I'm trying to fill this in and I'm going this way. And all of a sudden a sentence will come and I think, wow, where did that come from? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that that is that's then that knows that that says that you're you're open to this creative principle and mm-hmm. i think that all artists experience that yes. they do something and they have an idea but if if they're too rigid and confined in in their concept then they they don't let that creative creativity break the 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 barriers to get outside the box so to speak yeah. but Absolutely. as long as you're approaching it and you have this openness yeah, you you put your craft together. You know what you want to say, and you want to say it in the best way you can. But then mm-hmm. there are these these little gems, these little things that come, and and you just know you know that that's okay. That's that's not me. That didn't come out of my conditioned sense. I could have <laughs> exactly. never of that.
1: Right, not you out know, of my that little brain. Came,
2: <laughs> that, that came out of the you know this this universal consciousness.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you um? You said like not really holding to rigorous you know, um, it just, it just made me think like, I hear about people that say they need to set aside a certain time. Like I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write for 30 minutes or 45 minutes. Is that how you write or do you just let it flow over a period of time?
2: Oh, I have to kind of discipline myself because I've, I sit and I write stuff and it's not any good. And I think, what am I doing? I should go do something else, but there's a certain discipline that's necessary. Yeah. Um, but I'm not terribly rigid, like, oh, I've got to write five pages a day or mm-hmm, something like that mm-hmm. if I'm on a project, because sometimes it just doesn't work. And if it's not working and I can go, if I have other things that I need to do, I can go do these other things. Exactly. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I think there's a balance between discipline and being too obsessive over something.
1: Excellent. Well, we are almost out of time, but I want to hear a bit more about your latest book, and I want folks to know how they can find you, where they can purchase the books, um, and just any words of wisdom that you'd like to share to help people get through these uncertain times right now.
2: Well, the the book that you mentioned, the Fullness of Joy, is kind of like a spiritual um, textbook. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a it's kind of uh, a manual for finding that, that paradise within uh, uh, how um, I had used the term self-help because I'm not into that. But
1: yeah, it's, me too. But it is. <laughs> it's a good, it's a, it's, you synthesized the literature. Like I think it was a really good summary and a really good how to, it was very practical
2: and then the, my latest book the atua man is an, a novel it's a it's an adventure novel about a mystic who is um breaking the bounds of material sense but has a lot of people that want to stop him and discredit him so oh, uh it it's much more of a I, I thought that in fiction with fictional characters i could really push the envelope and and make it dramatic and hopefully there's a lot of spiritual principles in it but it's it's an adventure that's um you know pushes the boundaries of of uh, what we think of as reality
1: are any of the stories in this fiction based on true characters or anything from your own (laughs) life (laughs) i know that inspiration comes from somewhere
2: Oh, every writer, you know, uses their own experiences. And then there's a major, there's a major adventure in the book, uh, a sailing trip into the South Pacific and yes. into the world of the Polynesians that, that I experienced when I was younger, yes. but it's, it's all fiction yeah. okay. Okay. other than the places and, you know, gotcha. the gotcha. context, which gotcha. it is, which it's in.
1: Yep. I'm going to read it. I just, right when you published it, I was on a kick of, I'm not reading new things. I'm trying not to read. I'm trying to just practice, you know, because I saw how <laughs> I would stopped doing everything else. I don't watch television. I don't really have any other hobbies. It's all just presence. But reading became that new distraction because it's easier to read than it is to marinate in love. So um, okay. I do want to read it. And I think I'll just take it slow and read a little bit every day, like the way I would watch a Netflix show.
2: Exactly. No, it's entertainment, but yeah. it's entertainment with, with a, a, a more spiritual basis uh, than a lot of adventure books. It's not, yeah. I mean, it can be escapist reading, but but there's a little core of truth going, going through it. That, That's the
1: only uh, kind of fiction I would read. <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> That's good. I watched a show recently on Netflix um, called Messiah, and I was, somebody recommended, they were like, I know you don't watch stuff, but you should totally watch this. If you haven't seen The Messiah on Netflix, you should absolutely
2: watch it. It was already yeah, I, I kind of remember that. And I said, for somebody, it's like a modern day Jesus, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But it was a nod to these teachings. Even in the background of one of the scenes, there was a very like small corner you could see of an Eckhart Tolle book. So even though the average viewer would think that he was the return of Christ. He continuously made the point to say that God is talking through all of us to all of us that, you know, the Christ never left that that presence is here now and always will be. And when you're aware of it, history has ended. There were such powerful quotes throughout that I had to go and Google the director, the writer, just to see like, who is this person? Cause they're in the know.
2: Oh, that's terrific. Oh, thanks yeah. for that tip. I will. I, we will yeah watch
1: it it was i've I've watched it twice and i've caught a couple of things that i didn't catch the first time very powerful and it actually was not renewed even though it was viewed in 33 million households so they're very sad and i am too but i think you know everything has a silver lining it's probably good because the way it ends it's there's a question there so i like i'm i'm okay with it not continuing it was powerful in and of itself that first season
2: Oh well, that's terrific. I will we'll take a look at it.
1: Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. Well, it's yeah. been amazing speaking with you, John. Um, tell us your website. Um, and any other things that you would like for us to support.
2: Well, you can you can find about about our work at aloha dot It has different pages for me, for my wife Sandra, who's a a, a life coach, a, a creative coach, and my mother Virginia, who is. 101 and was one of Joel's original wow,
1: teachers. Wow, she's 101? Yes. That is amazing. What a blessing.
2: Yeah, well, that is she's beautiful. still She's uh, still <laughs> bright and hanging in here. She's wow. waiting for her new adventure.
1: I love that. Does she live in Hawaii with you guys?
2: Yeah, she lives in a, a um a senior's place, you know, where yeah. she can get her meals and that kind of stuff.
1: Excellent. And, uh, excellent. That is beautiful. I love that. I'm so happy you shared that. Thank you.
2: Yeah. So uh, the website is alohamystics.com.
1: Aloha so mystics.
2: Think of Hawaii, aloha, and mystics.
1: (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Thank you so much, John. And thank you all for tuning in again. We'll be back very soon. Please like and subscribe and leave comments um, on iTunes for me. I love you and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.